0: morning. There's a reason why one of our core values here at Marion Christian Chapel is is expository preaching. I, I love expository preaching. To work our way sequentially through the Word of God and to come to difficult topics, which we even looked at last week, one in particular, but to not run or hide from them. We come to a passage today that I'm super excited to minister this word to you. You'll see along the way that, in essence, I'll be speaking to two different people groups. But the message needs to be heard no matter what group you are in. That is the message of the gospel truth. A truth that we just sung about. A truth that many of us, hopefully, prayerfully, in this room here today, hold near and dear to our hearts. We need this gospel truth more than ever. The title for our message today is A Faithful Savior and a Righteous Judge. If you'd stand with me, I'd actually like to begin this morning by reading the text. A little different change of pace our text will be from malachi chapter 2 starting with verse 17 and we'll read through chapter 3 verse 6 i'll read the passage and then we'll explore it together this is god's word for us his truth to us here this morning You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? And that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against the earners and his wages, and the widow and orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. You may be seated. what is truth is there even such thing as truth as for israel as for us even today as well psalm 119 verse 160 provides an excellent definition that text states the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting what about some of the worldly perspectives of the day for some truth is nothing more than a subjective idea left to one's own interpretation for others differing worldviews come to bear where a certain individual claims that my worldview is truth as opposed to you And then, of course, there's the somewhat comical viewpoint that truth does not exist. All the while stating that that claim is true. Go figure. The first recorded words of the devil himself are, Has God really said? You see that in Genesis chapter 3. This lack of trust in what is true has been on display from the beginning. The God of this world, the father of lies, seeks to lead us astray, to guide us away from the sum of what is truth, God's word. As for this section and Malachi as a whole, we've continued to see The Jews questioning God in what is truth. In what we just read, they proceed to blaspheme the Lord and to say, where is the God of justice? They go on to say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. In response to this, we'll see in our exposition An overarching answer that was given to Israel. A theme for this passage that confirms that God is faithful to save and righteous to judge. The question for us today to answer will be, how do we understand truth? I want us to look at several solutions that are in and of themselves anchored within the gospel. Solutions that I pray even now as I speak to most of us within this room, hopefully, prayerfully, that even as believers will help us grasp and understand our utter dependence and need for the gospel. Even for those of us as believers that are within this room, that we would be called to preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis. We will see throughout this message how that continues to fortify us in our walks with Christ. Those beautiful gospel truths that we need to be reminded of On a regular basis. Our first solution is to beware the rejection of truth. And that is found in chapter 2, verse 17. As we just alluded to, we saw from the passage the rejection of truth in Israel's questioning of God in his justice, in his goodness. The verse states that these words actually wearied the Lord. Now this of course is, has nothing to do with any human understanding of the Lord Himself being tired or wearied from that perspective. But it certainly speaks to the Lord's disapproval of their rejection of truth. And many of us, understand what it means to be a parent as a parent perhaps there's no greater wearing circumstance than dealing with the child who attempts to refuse and accept their responsibility it's almost as if they dig a hole deeper in a frivolous attempt to reject or to walk away from what they already know, is true. In a similar vein, the Israelites proceed to say, How have we wearied him? It's almost like you can hear the whining flowing forth from the text. We've seen this before, have we not? In chapter 1, verse 6, when they said, How have we despised your name? Or in chapter 2, verse 14, regarding their frustration and their whining for the Lord's refusal to accept their offering, they say, For what reason? Self-denial. Refusal, acceptance of what they knew was true. It was that rejection that began in their self denial of sin. We mentioned the temptation in the garden when the devil himself said, Has God really said? Was this not what we saw even from the beginning? A self denial, a rejection of truth. Adam, instead of accepting his spiritual headship, chose to reject truth and pawn his sin upon Eve, denying what he should have accepted. He rejected it. So the rejection of truth was certainly on display through the Israelites' self-denial of sin. With that said, we also see the rejection of truth and their complete disregard for what they would have already known. The verse, as we saw, in essence becomes a sort of mocking of God's truth. As if to say that God actually takes pleasure in evil Where is this God of justice? Whether it was Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 or Isaiah chapter 10 or the prophet Habakkuk, many examples through Scripture, without a doubt, these people would have been aware of God's often hidden providence in the face of evil and how God throughout history demonstrates through his word that he often uses the sinful actions or circumstances of man to accomplish his good and perfect will. Nevertheless, in the face of biblical history and God's word, these people chose to reject truth. regarding our question how do we understand truth the first solution is for us to beware that rejection of truth without a doubt every single one of us would agree that there are churches across the world where pews are still being filled unfortunately with men and women that reject truth. In the same manner that Israel was aware of their self-denial, Scripture proclaims to the rejector today that they have no excuse for rejecting truth. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, clearly proclaims that all men know God, yet they choose to suppress that in unrighteousness. I pray that this is not the case, but I am not naive to think that perhaps there is some even here in this room today. Your conscience, even now, if that is you, bears witness to that fact. Romans chapter 2 verse 15 says that the law of Christ is written upon the hearts of man, bearing witness to the fact of his guilt or innocence. Paraphrasing that last portion. Dear friend, if there is anyone here today still rejecting truth, beware that rejection more to come for you To the majority of those of you within this room my feather fellow born again believers dear brothers and sisters in christ we must as well beware the rejection of truth in malachi chapter 2 we looked at several roles for the priest of israel And then, if you recall, we compared that to our role as royal priests of Christ. And that as we look to the roles of the priests of Israel as priests of Christ, in many respects, we seek to apply those to our lives. One of those roles was to be a learner of God, to seek with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength to know more of the surpassing value of Christ, to learn more of Him each and every day, to not apply our lives to learning Christ and His Word is in some respects to be a rejecter of truth. Beware this rejection. It will certainly affect a life pertaining to godliness. A life that desires to live for Christ in all that we do. Whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. Let us, as born-again believers, be found being learners of Christ, not rejecting truth. Our second solution is to avoid the neglect of truth avoid the neglected truth. This is found in the first verse of chapter 1. You'll see in the beginning of one that the Lord is speaking directly in reference to his messenger. The one, as the verse says, that would clear the way for him. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just to say that this as a whole scripture clearly confirms, is John the Baptist. All four gospels attest to this. If you so desire, you can investigate that later. But what I do want to address in this verse revolves around our solution to avoid the neglect of truth. As for Israel, we can see the sarcasm within the verse. Look with me as the one sentence reads, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Now, we've seen throughout a context that clearly demonstrates the lack of consistency in whom the nation of Israel we're seeking at this day and age. We've also seen what faithful truth seekers actually look like. In chapter one, we examined in detail their contemptible worship for God as they presented lime and blame, blind, despised offerings to the Lord. In chapter two, Whether it was their role to be a learner, a teacher, an ambassador, or a covenant keeper. These men were not faithful in their commitment to pursue pursue truth. Neglecting truth. So, who were they seeking? Who were they actually delighting in? I would argue nothing more than a God of their own choosing. Whether their neglect was intentional or a result of their consistent, trivial approach to worship is not for us to determine. Although, what, I, what is for us to determine is the question of why this neglect of truth is important for us even here today. I'd ask the question, why do we even find our culture in such shambles today? Most certainly, I would argue it's because of unfortunately decades of the avoidance, or should I say the neglect of truth, not the avoidance. We would hope that it would be the avoidance of the neglect of truth. But we see throughout Christianity much neglect of truth. Pick your poison. Whatever that might be within the culture context that we live within. Whether it's critical social justice. Whether it's homosexuality. Whether it's even the combining of religions for greater social goals and aspects. This is often referred to as ecumenicalism. At its core, it's an avoid it, it is a neglect of truth. It is not avoiding the neglect of truth, but an outright neglect of what God's Word calls us to aspire for. However, it's one for us, one thing for us to look at the culture and, and that we live in. And we could wallow in that mire for a while, indeed. But what about us? Personally, that is a greater objective of mine as we consider the solution to not avoid the neglected truth. Where are we at individually? For my dear believing friends here this morning, I would remind you of John Owens' quote that we referenced a couple weeks ago. So pertinent to our discussion. He said, The foundation of true holiness and true worship is the doctrine of the gospel. What we are to believe. So when Christian doctrine is neglected, forsaken, or corrupted, true holiness and worship will also be neglected, forsaken, and corrupted. Would we avoid The neglect of truth because we desire with all of our hearts to live a life reflective of worship and holiness. To live a life that desires to learn and practice more of Christ in order that we would not be found neglecting truth. In order that we might be looked at as a beacon And a dark culture that most certainly we're exposed to on a regular basis. Truly a commitment to avoid this neglect of truth and to, here's the key, preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily consistent basis will indeed be a catalyst for us in protecting us to not avoid or to avoid the neglect of truth. However, on the flip side, I mentioned to you as we began, I'd be speaking to two people groups. Maybe there's someone here this morning who's neglected truth for some time now. Maybe in the same vein as the Israelites, worshiping a God of their own choosing. And the first solution we already covered The reality that your conscience bears witness to this reality. Either accusing or defending us. And this neglect over time, that type of knowledge is often shaped to reflect a form of truth. Not a form that is wholeheartedly committed to the sum of all truth and what we looked at, the word of God but a form of truth that seeks to appease your own conscience rather than to please and to glorify Christ in all that we do. My dear friend, if this is you, this is a lie from the devil himself. No amount of works will ever satisfy the longing of your soul. Avoid the neglect of truth. And our third solution, this message of truth will begin to take shape. And along with that, our needed response. Number three, and that is to receive the message of truth. And this is found in verses two through four. Now, you'll notice that from this point on within this section, we take a time jump. Verse 1, as we identified in reference to John the Baptist, is regarding the timing of the first coming of Christ. Beginning with verse 2, we'll see a time window that is in reference to the second coming of Christ. And that's important for us as we seek to rightly divide this word. With that said, I love the picture that we see in the beginning of verse 2. Look with me as the verse states Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Our Lord himself first came as a lamb, he's coming back as a lion. And I've mentioned before that I love war documentaries and war movies from a historical perspective. This language is battle language at its finest. In triumphant victory, the verse shouts that no one can stand. In the face of their mocking Where is this God of justice in chapter 2, verse 17? This is a statement that destroys any inkling of pride when it comes to receiving the message of truth. Tough, tough message indeed. However, we'll see that this message, and specifically our third solution does not apply to judgment but actually to purification what was that message and the rest of verse two and then in verse three we hear of the one that will actually deliver the message of truth you can see within the text he will be one that is ultimately like a refiner's fire in a foolish soap. As a smelter, the verse states, he will purify them like silver, and then he will refine them like gold. Now well, let's take a brief moment to look at these characteristics from an original audience perspective. The one thing that really sheds light here, and we can see throughout this passage, is the continual repetition of whether it might be refining or purification, not to mention the intensity that is communicated within the original language. Every one of these Hebrew verbs, every one of them is in the intensive format, communicating that this one who is bringing and delivering a message of truth is with intense Purpose and desire, creating an opportunity for purification. The fuller soap, as we can see here, is akin, more akin to a launderer who desires to diligently whiten garments. Smelting is, in essence, a refining process that takes place for metals. What's more, I love the picture of fire here. That refines the gold. Now, in today's day and age, many of us are probably not familiar with what is behind 24 carat gold. Gold in its raw form was not pure 24 karat gold, and that is the terminology that is used to describe pure gold. 24 carats. Nonetheless. The gold was not that to begin with. Gold is comprised of multiple metals or impurities. But in order for it to become pure, it needs to be refined and the impurities within that metal or rock need to be removed. This is the picture being communicated in the refiner's fire, a metaphorical picture, if you will, of one who will ultimately be a purging fire of all iniquity. And then, in the back half of verse 3 and verse 4, we see what this refining and what this purification will ultimately lead to. In direct contrast, to their common practice of defiled and debased, blind, lame offerings. We see that a time is coming in the future where their offerings will be pleasing to the Lord. They will be considered as righteous. Now, we don't have the time in this format to examine more of what that's about. But you can make reference to Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 40 through, for, chapter 40 through 48. But this is nothing more than a direct reference to the millennial temple following the second coming of Christ. A time where God will fulfill his covenantal promises to his chosen people. A time where he will write his law on their heart where he will remember their sin no more. The new covenant. And that is on display in Jeremiah chapter 31. Now, let me offer one more critical thought before we consider. How do we consider this truth? As for us, we know because of revealed history, In God's canon of Scripture that is complete, who the one is who is the purging fire, Christ Jesus Himself, the one that has been revealed, who will remove all iniquity and sin from those who trust and receive Him as their Lord and Savior. As for Israel, during this time, Christ's identity, of course, would still not have been known. When Malachi brought forth this message, it was still approximately 400 years before the first coming of Christ. So, what's the point concerning that? It's a critical point for us as we consider this passage in light of how we might understand truth. And that point is that salvation has always been by faith alone. As for us here within this church age, we look back to the cross. We understand That Christ is the purging fire, the refiner, the purifier of our sin-tainted garments of sin. As for the saints of old, they looked forward in faith, by faith, to a Redeemer to come. So, for my believing friends here this morning, why is it important for us? to daily receive this message of truth, this refining message of a gospel grounded in faith alone in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Allow me to encourage you from the words of Martin Luther concerning preaching the gospel to ourselves and why it's critical, why it will drive us On a daily, consistent, yearly basis to greater levels of obedience. Martin Luther stated Once I debate about what I have done and left undone, I am finished. But if I reply on the basis of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins covers it all. I have won. On the other hand, if the devil gets me involved in what I have done and left undone, he has won. Unless God helps and says, indeed, even if you had not done anything, you would still be saved by forgiveness. How precious is that truth for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. To not wallow in the sins of our past, but to look to the saving message of the gospel, which has refined and purified us as white as snow. In the same manner that Israel was reminded that no one could stand, we can be reminded. But salvation is impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. That is, to my believing friends, receiving the message of truth. That is preaching the gospel to ourselves. That is power for Christian living. Although, for my unbelieving friend, I beg you today, I compel you, admit your impurities before God. And maybe there are some here today that have even grown up in a Christian home. I've lived a life that the world would consider good in light of man. But in all reality, I pray this is not the case. But as we stated, there's not a church in the world that does not have some. Is your heart still blackened and darkened with sin? Like a gerbil on a wheel, are you running a race of never-ending works? A race that will one day leave you before the Lord that will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, my dear brother or sister, if that is you, receive, this message of truth before it's too late. For today can be the day of salvation, but never forget, tomorrow is not promised for any of us. Today, you can find him to be a faithful Savior. Tomorrow, You could find him to be a righteous judge. And our next solution. It's that righteous judgment that takes center stage. Number four, fear the judgment of truth. This is found in verse five. We see that judgment to come for Israel. And descriptions of individuals worthy of such judgment. Judgment. The verse states that he will draw near for judgment and he will be a swift witness. This is courtroom, legal type language. What's more, this swift witness is one that is sudden and intense. The Guinness Book of World Records will never hold a candle when it comes to the fastest courtroom deliberation that has ever taken place to this swift witness. In 2004, in the country of New Zealand, one minute was all that it took for a deliberation to come back and find a man as not guilty. Useless information. With that said, though, There's a day coming where all rejecters of truth will experience the swift witness of judgment from a holy God. Who are these who the prophet is speaking about? The verse lists them as follows. The sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, The oppressors of wage earners, widows and orphans and aliens. And then the description that encompasses them all, those who do not fear the Lord. Whether it's witchcraft, adulterers, liars, or oppressors, there's one definition that encompasses them all. We see that word oppress. In the text, it can be defined as to exploit or to take advantage of. Now, for my believing friends, a word of encouragement. Don't fear the judgment of truth. Fear God out of honor and respect for who he is and all that he has done for you in purifying, and refining your life. For the fear of God, as we know, is the beginning of knowledge. For God, as believers here today, has not given us a spirit of fear concerning judgment. However, most certainly, a healthy fear and respect of the Lord, not under condemnation, will lead us to greater levels of obedience. Once again, though, there's another people group. My unbelieving friends. Fear the judgment of truth. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, proclaims loud and clear that it is appointed unto man to die and to face judgment. Luke chapter 13, verse 3, screams as loud as can be, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And then, oh, by the way, that mocking from chapter 2, verse 17, from the nation of Israel, where is the God of justice? That question will be answered. One day, I plead with you, receive the message of truth or you will be found guilty before the swift judgment of truth. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I was listening to a message earlier this week from Pastor Stephen Lawson, and he, he referenced an, an encounter, a historical counter from the late preacher George Whitfield. And a congregant came to him and said, Preacher, why do you always tell us that you must be born again? George Whitfield responded by saying, Dear sir, because you must be born again. Let's look for rest in our final solution to the question, How do we understand truth? Number five, our fifth and final solution, is to rest in the God of truth. From verse 6. To close this section, the Lord proclaims such wonderful words of encouragement. He states that he does not change. In a world of shifting sands, most certainly the faithful Israelites could have taken comfort in a passage such as Psalm 3311. And that the counsel of the Lord stands forever forever. He reminds them that they are sons of Jacob. We know the significance of that as we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. As the sons of Jacob, they were ones in whom God chose to set his sovereign love upon. And then finally, he reassures his faithfulness and the truth that they would not all be consumed. This is a confirmation, like no other, to his people that they would not come to an end. Much judgment, much difficult challenges throughout this message to that nation. And yet he says that they will not come to an end. Not similar to the Edomites of chapter 1 that we saw. And we've seen from this passage how God would one day write his law upon the nation of Israel's heart and remember their sin no more. That promise in the new covenant found from Jeremiah chapter 31, which we saw within this text, referencing a time where their offerings would be received by the Lord and as righteous the millennial kingdom. Although that covenant and promise was originally designed for the nation of Israel and that God is faithful, he will fulfill what he has promised to his chosen people. The beauty of that covenant, the new covenant, is that it applies to us even here today. What a comfort it is For us to know and to take rest in the God of truth, preaching the gospel to ourselves that our sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Rest, my dear brother and sister in Christ, in that gospel truth. To close, though. I'd like to make one more appeal to anyone under the sound of my voice that does not truly understand what it means to rest in the God of truth. Jesus would call you in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, and he would say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for those of us who appreciate and understand and value the message of truth. That passage is wonderful for us as well as we rest in what Christ has done. If there is anyone here who has not bowed the knee to Christ, confessed with their mouth Jesus Christ as Lord, I beg you, I plead you, come to Christ today. Make today the day of your salvation. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are humbled, we are challenged, we are encouraged. You have given the world the greatest message of truth that we will ever hear, see, or experience sinful as we are, broken as we are, each and every one of us, whether believers or not, fully aware of it. You are the purging fire, O oh God. You are the one that refines our darkened and hardened hearts into a heart of flesh, a life worthy not because of anything in and of ourselves but because of the grace and mercy of our lord and savior jesus christ lord we pray that your word would not return void here today but that it would be an aroma of life unto life in jesus name we pray